All right, good evening, everybody. If you can go ahead and find your places, we will uh, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, if you got your Bibles tonight and you want to follow along, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 8. Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 4 through 8. And as you can see from the title tonight, we're going to begin talking about the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit or uh, the spiritual gifts, however you want to uh, entitle it. Now, as we begin our lesson tonight, I want to remind you of something. Um, we did not begin this study in Romans 12, right? We didn't just, just plop down in Romans 12, 1 and start this study. We actually started this study in August of last year, and we started in Romans 1, 1. So there have been 11 chapters that has preceded this. And in those 11 chapters, Paul has labored to teach us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, he has investigated or looked at the gospel from just about every angle that a person could possibly look at the gospel. And, and it, but it all kind of boils down to, to this. We are sinners, you and I. Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners and we need to be rescued from the wrath of a holy God. Now listen, a lot of people don't like to talk about that these days. All they want to talk about is the love of God. And God does love us. In fact, He loved us so much that He made a way for us to be rescued from Himself. And that way is what we call the gospel or the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, came to this earth and lived the perfectly obedient life that you and I could never live. And then he died on a cross, a spotless lamb, shedding his blood as an atonement or a payment for our sins. He, was, he rose again on the third day by the Spirit of God to validate who he was. And because of those things, his life, death, and resurrection, God has made a way for us to be made right with him simply by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Now listen, that is wonderful news to every individual person here tonight, and in fact, every individual person on this planet, because each individual person is a sinner. Each individual person has the opportunity to believe. Each individual person can be saved. But I want you to listen to me. There is danger, and I'm going to talk about this in a bit. There is danger in thinking that God's purposes in salvation are only individualistic. You see, the fact is, when you and I come to Christ by faith, we are united to Christ as individuals, yes, but something else happens as well. And that something else is that you and I are united to one another. That is what Paul is going to talk about here tonight in verses 4 through 8. Now let's start in verse 4. Paul says this, For as in one body, and here he is talking about a human body. Paul is setting up a metaphor. A metaphor is when you compare two things that are one is like the other. Paul is setting up a metaphor, and the first part of the metaphor is a human body. He says this, for as in one human body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. Now, 
we all understand this. In fact, this is a great metaphor because we all have a body. We all live in a body. We all use our body. We're all familiar with our body. And we understand the fact that our body has many parts. It has many members. It has eyes and, and, and ears and noses and lips and eyelids and eyelashes and fingernails and toes and fingers and lungs and hearts and all of these different aspects of our body, different members. And they all have different purposes. Now, here is the metaphor. Paul says this, so we are in the same way. We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's the analogy. So we, now listen, the church, Paul's going to talk, be talking tonight about the church. And the church, we can look at the church in two ways. The church is the universal church. Everyone who is a, is a believer in Jesus Christ, both now and has ever lived, is part of the universal church. But he also talks about the body or the church as the local church. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. When we talk about the body, I want to think about River of Life. That's us. So what Paul is saying here is so we here at River of Life, though many, we have many members in here, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, there are three things in verse 5 that I want to point out. The first one is simple. Paul says, so we are in the same way, though many individual people, we are one body. So what Paul is saying here is the church is like a human body. Okay? It has many different members, and each one of those members are all parts of the one body. Now, if Paul had just stopped there and he hadn't said anything else, it, it, it could have been misleading, but he didn't. Paul added something to that. He says, not only are we one body in Christ, individually we are members one of another. Now, the question is, what does that mean? When Paul says we're, we're one body in Christ, but individually we're members of one another, what does he mean? What Paul means is that our unity is more profound than being a member of a club or an organization or a football team. Let's take, for example, a football team. A typical football team, I don't know, like a, a college club has like 60 members, right, on a football team. And they all have different talents and they all have different abilities. The, the, the right tackle is not skilled enough to be a quarterback. The quarterback's not fast enough to be a wide receiver. The wide receiver is not big enough to be a left guard. So they all have talents and abilities that fit different aspects of the team. And they're all working together toward one goal. Now listen, too many people in churches across America today see a church as an organization, as a team. We've all got our talents and we're all working together and we're all moving toward a common goal. But that is not what Paul says. Our unity that we have is more profound than being a member of the Lions Club. Our unity that we have is more profound than being a member of the Rotary Club or the member of a, of a football team. When Paul compares the church to something, he compares it to a living organism, the human body. That's his metaphor. We have to see this because he, he knows what he's, he's doing. So when Paul says we are individually members one of another, what he's saying us is that each one of us is part of the other. Now, let's explain this by looking at the human body. Let's say that you cut your finger, okay? Let's say you cut your finger. The rest of the body doesn't look at the finger and say, too bad for him. I hope he gets that figured out. Or, or you're walking through 
the, the living room at night, right? And you stub your toe. How many of you ever stubbed your toe on the coffee table? The rest of the body doesn't look down and say, I bet that hurt. Man, I hope he gets that figured out pretty soon. If there's a baseball coming at your head at 90 miles an hour, the rest of the body doesn't say, you know, that head needs to get out of the way pretty quickly here. It doesn't work like that, does it? The rest of the body, all the members react. And the reaction isn't because they got together and had a meeting. The, the reaction isn't that they all got together and discussed, man, what's the best way you think we can help this toe out or this finger out or any of that stuff? No, the reaction is immediate and it's instinctive. You see, the whole body feels the pain. The whole body sees the danger. The whole body acts as if it's happening to them because it is happening to them. That's the comparison that Paul makes to River of Life and every other church and every other body that we have, local body. We are like a living organism. This is what it means to be members of one another. We feel each other's pain. We, 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 we exult with one another. We, we're sad with one another. We feel for one another. Now, here's the thing. What makes this possible? Because the fact is, the very best that a natural person can do is a Lions Club or a Rotary Club or a football team. That's the very best we can do in the natural. What, make, what enables us to have this unity, this profound unity? Well, Paul told us, Right there in the middle of the verse. We are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. Now, I'm not going to reteach this. If you go back to chapter 6, I covered there extensively what it means to, for you and I to be in Christ. So, suffice it to say, in a nutshell, when you and I believe, okay? And when I say believe, I mean when you and I are born again. When we are regenerated when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when we, are, when we believe we are united with Christ in such a way that what belongs to Christ becomes ours. What, what Christ has earned with His life, death, and resurrection is now shared with us. It, it's an amazing thing. You remember we talked about it? That's why the Bible can look back 2,000 years and say, you were crucified with Christ. His life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. What He's earned becomes shareable with us. Listen to how Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us where? Say it with me. In Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's an amazing thing. I've used this before. You guys have heard me. It's the, the analogy or the metaphor, whatever it is. I can't tell the two apart. But um, this, I've used this metaphor before when my boys first started driving. And they had a truck and, and uh, they start driving. They don't have a job. They don't have any credit. They don't have any money. And Kathy and I would give them our credit card. And they would pull up to the gas pump. And they would take that credit card with my name on it. And they would swipe it through that machine. And even though they had no money and they had no credit, they had nothing to their name, it would basically take everything that was under my name and share it with them. Everybody with me? If that helps you, I know it helps me. It's kind of like that, right? I don't have any righteousness. I don't have anything good. 
I don't have any of the things that I need to, to live this incredible life that I'm being called to live. But because of His name, because of my unity with Him, all of His stuff gets shared with me. Let me give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 1.4 The grace of God is given to you where? In Christ Jesus. Romans 3.24 says we have access to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.32, there is forgiveness. Where? In Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. A new heart, a new mind, a new way of thinking and feeling. There is no condemnation. Romans 8.1, where? In Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is found where? In Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, there's sanctification in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2, 4, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. Think about all these things. Grace, mercy, freedom, sanctification, holiness, purity. How do I get them? I get them through my unity with Christ. All the things that He earned, I get access to, just like they are mine. Now, here's why I bring this up. What is it? that allows me and you and the rest of us to live at this level of unity in a body like this, above something like the Lions Club, above something like a team? What is it that gives us this ability to live in this profound unity? It is being in Christ. You're in Christ. I'm in Christ. And because of that, we are now able to live in this living organism it's called the church. Again, read it with me. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For it is in one body. We have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body. Where? In Christ. In our unity with Christ. Now, I said earlier, there is a danger in thinking about Christianity as only individualistic. And here's why. I want you to think about, for just a moment, the importance of this for your personal, individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. What would it mean if one member of the body said to other members of the body, I don't need you. I, I don't really want to be associated with you. I, I don't want to be attached to you in any way. I don't want to be dependent on you in any way. I'm just going to live over here in my house I'm just going to watch church on TV. I'll pray. I'm going to depend on Christ and the Holy Spirit. But I don't want anything to do with you. What does that mean? That person is effectively saying, I choose not to be in Christ. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying, I choose not to be in Christ. Why? Because you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have it both ways. You can't have unity with Christ without having unity with the body. You just, it, that, that's foreign to the Bible. In fact, the idea of a Christian, which by the way, the very definition of a Christian is someone that's in Christ. The idea of a Christian that can live apart from the body of Christ is absolutely foreign to the Bible. You won't find that type of Christianity anywhere. In fact, it's as foreign as the idea that I could cut off my finger or cut off my foot, set them over there on that chair, and they would thrive. They wouldn't, would they? 
They die and they wither. It's exactly what happens. You, you cannot live apart from the body. Now, let me say this. I am not talking. I shouldn't have to say this, but I will. I'm not talking about people that are homebound. I'm not talking about people who are sick and can't get here. People that, that want to be here and would give anything to be here. I'm talking about people who have purposely made a choice to separate themselves from the body. That type of Christianity, if you will, is absolutely foreign to Scripture. Paul says, in Christ, we are individually members one of another. That is the reality, and if you reject that reality... You reject Christ. You can't have one without the other. Now, let's ask this question very quickly. Why does God do it this way? Why does God set it up and design it that a bunch of us people from different backgrounds and different races and all kind of different things, we all come together and He wants us to love one another and show grace and forgiveness and mercy to one another and serve one another and help one another why does he do that? Why does he want us to feel each other's pain? What's, what's the whole point of this? Well, in fact, in my mind, God could have done it differently, couldn't he? Could you see a situation where God just saves people individually and he has us depend on Christ and depend on the Spirit but not depend on each other? It seems reasonable. seems like he could have done it that way. If he wanted to, but he didn't. And the question is why? Well, I think Romans 15, 5 and 6 tells us. It says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. By the way, this is a freebie. Let me stop right there. Notice what that says. Live in harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Live in harmony with one another according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. You don't elevate unity above the teachings of Christ. Live in harmony and unity, but do it according to Christ. Now watch what he says. Live in such harmony with one another that together you may with one voice glorify God. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, it's not that hard to understand. What God wants out of us is a bunch of little Jesuses running around. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. What does Paul say in Romans 8? We are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what He wants. But if you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to forgive, and you've got to show grace, and you've got to show mercy, and you've got to encourage, and you've got to love. You can't do that individually. You've got to be in a group. You've got to be in relationships to be able to practice those things and grow into the stature of Jesus. And when we do that, for some reason, that glorifies God more than a bunch of individual people just serving God all by themselves. That's why he set it up the way he did. Now, we are called to live in unity. We are called to be members of one of another. That means we're going to have to help one another and serve one another and pick one another up when we fall down. All of those things. And if we're going to do that, we need to use our gifts, okay? And here's the first thing we need to understand about our gifts. Look at the first part of verse 6. Paul says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Okay, so tonight we're going to start talking about the gifts. And this is absolutely foundational to the gifts. And that is this, whatever your gift is, you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, 
You didn't merit it in no way, shape, or fashion. It was given to you by the grace of God. It was given to you by the Holy Spirit. Got nothing to do with you. He did that, okay? Now, here's why I point this out. Last week, we spent a lot of time in verse 3. And in verse 3, Paul said this, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Now, here's what you need to understand. The very essence of a sound mind and a sane mind. In fact, let me define insanity. Insanity is thinking you know more than God. Insanity is thinking that somehow you know what is good and right and true and perfect and he doesn't. That is an insane mind. A sound mind knows its place in relationship to God. A sound mind thinks humbly, humbly, not pridefully. So the very essence of a sound mind is knowing, okay, this is what you've called me to do, but all the grace, all the glory, all the honor goes to you. This is why this is so important and foundational, because if we're going to love one another and serve one another and honor one another and all that, I can't go around thinking I'm better than you. And you can't go around thinking you're better than me. That will destroy unity. It'll destroy it. It'll never get off the ground. So foundationally, what we have to know about the gifts is that they are given to us purely of grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Now, let's read verses 6 through 8. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, Paul here lists seven gifts of the Spirit. And I've, I've listed them out there for you so you can uh, see them pretty easily. Prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, contributing or giving, leading, and mercy. Okay? They are, that's seven gifts. Now, next week we're going to get to those seven gifts. And we're going to dive into the specifics. What they mean, how they function in the body of Christ. But tonight... I'm going to stay more at a 10,000-foot level, okay? I'm going to show you some general things about the, uh, the gifts, okay? So we'll just kind of stay at a high level tonight. So here's a few things I want you to know. First of all, you need to understand that these seven are not all the gifts, okay? In fact, there are five lists in the New Testament. In addition to the one that we just saw in Romans 12... There are two more lists given by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's an additional list given by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.11. And then there is a list given by Peter in 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Okay? So let's take a look at these. This is the other list given by Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. I'll just read it very quickly. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of those are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wants to. Okay? Now, in that list, there are nine gifts given. But there is one overlap, prophecy, right? So I've crossed that one out. So in that list, you get eight 
additional gifts. You get the utterance of wisdom and knowledge. Some translations call that the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge. Faith, healing, miracles, the ability to distinguish between spirits, the ability to speak foreign language. By the way, that, that, um, the ability to uh, speak various tongues. It uses the word various, which means multiple. That has nothing to do with a prayer language. It has to, the ability, it's talking about the ability to speak multiple language. This would have been very important in the first century church when you got a bunch of Palestinian Jews who were going all over the world trying to spread the gospel. They needed the ability to speak various languages, and that was one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave the church, uh, as well as the ability to interpret those languages. So there's eight. Let's read another one. This is Paul again, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and once again, various kinds of tongues. And then he says this, Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers or work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing or speak with tongues or interpret? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each one as he wills. Not everybody has every gift. Now, that list, he lists eight different gifts. Five of them have overlaps that we've already covered. There's only three new ones. Apostles, helping, and administrating. Okay? So that brings us to what? 18, I think. Now we get to Ephesians 4.11. Once again, the Apostle Paul. And he gave some apostles, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gives us five Four of those are overlaps, so he only really gives us one, which is shepherds, which would be elders or, or pastors. That's one new one there, okay? Then we turn to Peter, okay? So those first four were by Paul. Now we turn to Peter, 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Peter says this, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter gives us three, hospitality, speaking, and serving. Now, serving has already been covered in one of the other lists, so there's only two there that are new, and that is hospitality and speaking. Now, if you take those five lists and you add them all up, you come up with 21. Or do you? Is there 21 gifts? All right, I'm going to do something tonight that I never do. And that is I'm going to muddy the water. In fact, that, that seems counterintuitive because my job as a teacher is to make things clear. But I'm going to muddy the water because I want to make something clear a little bit later on. So give me a little leeway. I'm going to, I'm going to muddy this up a little bit. I want to show, tell you a few things. Number one, if you begin to go study the gifts and you read different commentaries and different translations, and you try to figure out, okay, how many gifts are there, you'll find that there is a lot of discrepancy and disagreement, okay? Now, some of it's kind of minor. For example, some people will argue that administration and leadership are the same gift. Now, I don't think they are. I think they're different. But some people would, would argue that they're the same. Or how about serving and helping? Some people would say that serving and helping are the same. Now, that's, that's a better argument, right? I mean, what is the difference? I, I'm not sure. And some people will say, well, that's the same gift. Or what about when Peter says speaking? 
That seems real general, don't it? Does he mean, is that exhorting people? Or, I mean, what's he talking about here? So you can see how people could, could, could you know, well-meaning godly people could sit down and have disagreements and, you know, the, the gifts, the number of gifts would begin to change. But it actually goes deeper than that. For example, I mentioned hospitality is a gift, okay? A lot of people say, that's not a gift. If you go back to 1 Peter 4, Peter said, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then he says, and those that have gifts, use them, right? Well, some people say, well, he didn't mean to include hospitality in the list. It came before that. Now, there's disagreement on that. Is hospitality a gift? How about things like apostles and evangelists? Some people say those aren't gifts, that they're offices in the church. Now, obviously, an evangelist like Brother Bill would have to have certain gifts. You'd have to have the gift of exhortation. You'd probably have to have the gift of mercy because you, you feel you want people to be saved. But some people would say, well, that's not a gift, it's an office. Or how about celibacy? You may have noticed that, did anybody see celibacy in any of those lists? It's not listed there, but in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul specifically refers to celibacy as a gift from God. So, is that a, was he meaning that as a spiritual gift, or does he mean gift in a more general sense? How about singing? It's not listed anywhere. Now, somebody that's singing, like Priscilla, would obviously have a gift of serving, maybe a gift of exhortation, right? But singing itself is never listed as a, a gift. Or how about this, intercessory prayer. I mean, what's more important than intercessory prayer? But it is not listed. And some people will even find things like craftsmanship, the ability to, to make things or create things or repair things or build things with your hands. They go back to the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament with uh, uh, Moses and the tabernacle and God said, go get this guy. I've given him the ability to make things with his hands. And, and some people say, would say that's a gift, but it's not listed anywhere either. So this might surprise you, but there is no definitive list. That might surprise you, but there is no definitive list in the Bible of what the spiritual gifts are. No list is the same. There's overlap in the list, isn't there? You saw that. In fact, sometimes Paul will list a gift in one list, but then he doesn't list it in another. Nowhere does he give it a, a comprehensive list. And I have to ask the question, is that on purpose? You do understand that Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit, could have very easily have said, these are the gifts of the Spirit, and he could have listed them out. Couldn't he? But he didn't. He did not give a definitive list. Sometimes he'd list these. Sometimes he'd list these. Sometimes he'd list these. He'd leave some out. He'd overlap. There is no definitive list. And I always have to ask. See, I think that's important. I really do. And again, the Spirit could have absolutely gave us a list, but he did not. And I think we have to ask why. Let me muddy the water a little bit more. Some gifts are virtues that every Christian should have. Go back to that first list that Paul gives us here in Romans uh, chapter 12. 
Four of those, serving, exhortation, contributing, and mercy, are virtues or characteristics that every single Christian should have. Every single one. Let me prove it to you. Galatians 5.13 says, serve one another. He's not talking about the gifts. That's a command to each and every person in this body. Serve one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another. Exhort one another. That means you can do it. Keep on pressing. Keep on running. Keep on striving. Keep on fighting. Every single one of us should be doing that every... In fact, watch what it says. Exhort one another every what? Day. Every day. We should be exhorting somebody to keep on, to keep pressing, to keep running that race. Ephesians 4.28. Share with anyone in need. I'm sure there's no argument here. All Christians are to give. All Christians are to share. And then finally, the last one, the words of Jesus himself says this, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He, that command goes out to every single Christian. So here's the thing. All ordinary Christians are called to serve, exhort, give, and show mercy. However, God may choose or the Spirit may choose to give someone an extraordinary ability to show mercy or an extraordinary ability to give or an extraordinary ability to exhort. But all Christians should be doing those things. Let me give you another one, teaching. The Bible says clearly older women teach the younger women. Doesn't it? Does that mean that, that older women all should have the gift of teaching? No. One of, the, one of the, the requirements for an elder, elders should be able to teach. Or how about this? Parents, you think you should be teaching your children in your own home? Now, does that mean everybody here has got to have the gift of teaching? No. But we should all be able to teach. So what does this tell us? I've muddied up the water a little bit, haven't I? There's no definitive list. Some people have these extraordinary abilities to do things, but everybody should have them in some form or fashion. What do we learn from all this? Well, we learn a few things. Number one, you cannot put these gifts into nice, tidy little categories. It just doesn't work that way. I I can't look at you and say, well, he's got the gift of mercy, therefore I don't have to do it. Make sure you get that. Not having a gift does not give you A free pass. It just does not work that way. Okay, so you can't put them into these nice, tidy little categories. Gifts that are uh, possessed completely by one person, it doesn't mean that that they're possessed completely by one person and not at all by another. It's just not that that clean, okay? Doesn't work that way. So here's my advice to you tonight. Don't focus on the list. Stop focusing on the list. There is no definitive list. I think too many Christians go through this life spending too much time trying to label their spiritual gift before they walk in it. Let me say that again. Too many of you in this body are spending too much time trying to figure it all out 
trying to, trying to, to label their gift and figure what it is. And once I know what my gift is, then I can do it. Folks, I think that is a completely wrong way to think. Completely wrong. But it, it's, a, it's a way that's literally exacerbated by the church. I mean, you can go out on the Internet and take spiritual gift tests. Go try it when you get home. Spiritualgifttest.com, I think is what it, it said up there. Yeah. Folks, it, it's not your... It's not your the Holy Spirit gives it to whom He wills. You don't take a, a test and you're, oh yeah, you checked all this, you got that. That ain't the way it works. I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit might, you may have that little talent or something. He may have something completely different. Stop focusing on the list. Stop focusing on the label. That is a completely wrong way to think. So tonight I'm going to tell you how to find your spiritual gift. Are you ready? Stop focusing on the list and start focusing on people. Stop focusing on a list and start focusing on people. Listen, look around you and find someone whose faith needs strengthening and then ask yourself, how do I help? That's all you got to do. Listen, the opportunities are everywhere. If you don't know what to do, you come see me. I'll walk over there to Blackie and I'll come back with a list of kids who need adults to, 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 to pour into their life. You are not too old to do that, okay? You're not too old. I was with a young man the other day and I'm not giving my, my mama, she, she's panicking right now because I just called her name. Um, I was with a young man the other day and probably 10 years ago, my mama was texting him and encouraging him. And the other day I was with him and I just happened to mention my mom and he said, man, she's awesome. She's awesome. And he still remembers what she texted him. You're better than that, she said. He still remembered that. Let me tell you, young people, when you're a 70 or 80 year old person, and you, you reach out, they love that. They absolutely love that. A lot of them don't have godly grandparents or godly parents. The opportunities are everywhere. Start looking around for people who need their faith strengthened and then ask, how can I help? Listen, if you serve over there on a Wednesday night in the kitchen so people can come in and fellowship and have their faith strengthened, you're doing it. You're serving. That's strengthening people's faith. If, if you're babysitting someone so they can go to a Bible study, that's a way to strengthen someone's faith. The opportunities are everywhere around us. They're all over the place. You just got to start looking for it. And this leads us to my final statement. Not knowing our spiritual gift is not really our problem. Our problem is we lack the desire to strengthen other people's faith. That's our problem. It's not not knowing our spiritual gift. We might take that out. Our real problem, our real problem is we lack the desire to just I want to do something. I want to help somewhere. I want to strengthen someone's faith. That is our underlying issue. You see, it's easy to tear down. Human nature, just let yourself go. You'll tear people down. You'll gossip. You'll backbite. You'll do all these things because that's, that's just our nature. But to build people up, to edify, to strengthen, there ain't very many people on that narrow road. That takes commitment. That takes want to. That takes desire. So here's my question to you tonight, or, or my ask of you tonight. 
Let's start praying, not that God will show me my spiritual gift, but let's start praying that, that we would long to be people that long to strengthen other people's faith. Can I just tell you something? If you get that desire in your heart, trust me, game is on. The game is on. You, you, you'll find it here pretty quickly. Just start, I, I, the way I put it is just put your hand to the plow. There's weeds in the garden that need coming out. Put your hand to the plow. Don't, don't sit here and think, well, now should I use a tractor? Am I, am I qualified to run that? Or what about that hand plow? Or should, just get on your hands and knees to start with and start pulling them. Put your hands to the plow. Pray. If you don't have that desire in your heart to strengthen other people's faith, then start praying. Start asking the Holy Spirit to give that to you because it's those type of people who will find and use their uh, spiritual gifts. So this is my question tonight. What about you? What do you have faith to do? That's the question. Remember uh, Romans 12, 3? Measure yourself honestly. Take a sober evaluation, an honest evaluation, according to the measure of faith that God has given you. So that's my question. What do you have faith to do? What do you have faith to do? And start finding somebody. Find a way to strengthen other people's uh, faith. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Henry to come. We've got a few people we want to pray for here tonight. Um, and uh, so, Pastor, if you'll come on, and I'll just I'll go ahead and pray. Father, I ask you tonight, God, to bless your word. Uh, we're going to be talking about... I, I, this is an awesome group of people. It is an awesome body of Christ. But, God, we all know... It could be so much better. We could all do so much more. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, here tonight, in my heart, in everyone's heart here, just create this overwhelming desire to serve. An overwhelming desire to strengthen other people's faith. To quit focusing on names and lists and start focusing on people. And then we sit back and watch what God can do. In Jesus' name. Amen.